I was just wondering if anybody ran the race this morning and came to church. Wait. Nope. Uh, anybody? <laughs> I think it's a girl's race. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Jake. <laughs> Busted. Um, what was I going to say? I was 13 years old, and um, I had it in my heart to get a girlfriend. And, uh, but this wasn't just any girlfriend, because I wanted to get a camp girlfriend, where, you know, you're at summer camp, and uh, you get a camp relationship, which is a lot less dramatic than a regular relationship, because you only see each other once in a while uh, throughout the year, so you never get the opportunity to really blow it. And so I had it all worked out. I'm going to use, okay, my mom gave me $5 to spend while I was at camp. So generous. And so I said, I'm not going to spend that $5 on me. That's not going to go very far. What I'm going to do is use that $5 to show how charitable I am to a girl of my choice. And so there was this, uh, there was this place at the camp that had all the snacks, and it was called the Snack Shack. And everybody was going to the Snack Shack, and I thought, okay, this is my chance. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to buy her an ice cream cone. So I go back to my camper, which was the type of camper that goes on the bed of a truck. You know, one of those, those are the cool kind. You can just drive off with them. And I go in there, and my friend was just coming out, who I was rooming with, wearing my fleece. And it had just rained, and so the temperature had dropped significantly, and I was freezing cold. And I said, Ben, what are you doing with my fleece? And he says, well, I forgot mine, so I had to take yours. Which I responded to, I would do the same thing to you. You're right. Enjoy. I got better things to do. I know how I'm going to get warm. I'm going to go risk everything to get this gal. So I go in, I get my wallet, which looked like Superman. It was blue with red uh, on the outside, and it was Velcro, and it took everything that I had in me to even open. So it's one of these rip-open wallets. And I get it, get on my bicycle and start pedaling as fast as I can towards the snack shack. And I start holding my breath because you do that when you're really cold and you're riding a bike. You know, I put my head down to conserve energy and I'm riding, not looking where I'm going. And I look up and see a girl. And the girl did not see me. <laughs> and I was planning on running into a girl that night. But this was within a second, and we hit each other head on. I fly over the handlebars. Body parts are going everywhere. It was, it was chaos. I come to. She's gone. I'll never know who that was. I, th I think about this sometimes. I think, I bet you this could be anyone in here was this girl. And the reason why that's significant to me is because when I tried to get up, I couldn't move my arm. So this guy comes out of nowhere, like a doctor or something, and he's like, stay calm. And I'm like, I'm not hurt. I just got the wind knocked out of me. But I also can't move my arm. And he starts feeling my shoulder, and he's like, you broke your collarbone. I'm like, what's a collarbone? He's like, this bone up here, feel it. And it was separated. And I go, my parents are going to kill me. And so they take me to the hospital. And the doc says to me, Dan, you have to wear this brace around your shoulders for the rest of the summer. You cannot ride your bicycle. You cannot play baseball. You cannot go swimming. You cannot do anything but sit there 
and heal. And this was devastating to me. I mean, eating hot pockets and drinking chocolate milk at your grandmother's house all summer isn't all that bad. But at the time, for me, summer used to really mean something. Summer used to be the time in my life where everything was going to happen that was going to happen. I would not waste one minute of summer sleeping, one minute of summer doing chores. No, I am going to be taking advantage of the summer. All this warm weather has gotten me start to think about this summer. And at some point in life, things changed. And I stopped looking at the summer with, a, uh, with an ambition and started looking at the summer like kind of a throwaway time. Nothing's going to happen in the summer. Everything happens in the fall, in the winter, and in the the spring. But let's just unplug in the summer and disengage and not take it seriously. What are you going to do this summer? Does the summer hold any value? And I'm not going to presume to tell you what to do with your time. I'm not going to be checking you guys' Instagram and being like, really, another time at the beach? Really, another time at the golf course? I mean, no, I'm not going to, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm a shepherd in this community. And there are wolves out there that would tell us that it's okay to take a vacation from our relationship with God. It's okay for you to disengage from leading your families. Fathers, your family needs you to pursue God in the winter and in the summer. Moms, your family needs you to not take a vacation on interceding for them. Young people, your family needs you to continue to, to, to pursue the source of life, our Heavenly Father. The world would tell us that it's okay to ignore God this summer and just unplug. But I have to argue, I think that there's a way that we can rest without forsaking our first love. Now this isn't the part where I tell you to come to church this summer. I'm not going to tell you that. Some of you may need to come, some of you might not. But this is the part where I tell you to be the church this summer. Be the church this fall. Be the church every second of every day and look at the future that lays before you with that same kind of excitement that I used to look at the summer with and say, I am not going to waste this time. Your family needs you to be Jesus to them. Your city needs you to be Jesus to them. To look on them with the compassionate eyes of Jesus. To speak to them with the healing and truthful words of Jesus. To listen to them with the patient ears of Jesus. Your city needs you to speak truth to power like Jesus. To to care for the poor like Jesus. To suffer alongside of people who are suffering with your companionship. Bringing substance and value to the pain in this world like Jesus. Are you with me? We've spent 80 some weeks uh, focusing our hearts and minds on the gospel of Luke. And this day we're going to transition. We're now going to look at a figure in the Old Testament with the longest biography in the Bible. So are there any high schoolers in the room? Okay, now you can raise your hand. Um, Listen. 
We are going to look at somebody who at your age took on the responsibility that he was not even asked to take on. Somebody who at your age was willing to risk his life for the betterment of his family and his nation and his God. The 20-somethings and college grads in the room who are starting to feel life and the weight of responsibility that comes at you. The man that we're going to look at is well aware of uh, how it feels to have responsibility come at you 100 miles an hour. If any of you are in a messed up family, have failed in your marriage with infidelity, have a broken marriage, or have failed as a parent, or have ever had an unwanted child, who have ever been publicly shamed for good reason, or publicly shamed for a bad reason, or are a veteran, or are somebody who's depressed, or doubting God, or somebody who just is struggling over and over again, we're going to look at somebody that we all can learn something from. The shepherd king, David, son of Jesse from Bethlehem. His life is chronicled in the books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. Also, he is accredited to have been written or written about half of the Psalms. And so this morning we're going to look at a Psalm, Psalm 23. And my prayer for you is, is that as we see this king, that you would get a healthy perspective on, on uh, kings and leaders, that you would start to see through this human leader who fails over and over again, our own failure, and give you compassion for other leaders. As we look at this king, that we would also be pointed to our great king, Jesus, and all of David's victories, that we would also see the complete and full victories of Jesus. Psalm 23, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Six verses, Psalm 23 is the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Scriptures. Which is difficult for a preacher because I listen to, I've been to Psalm 23 hundreds of times and heard people share on it, but you never think you're going to. You never get assigned John 3.16. So all of the good ideas and things that I've heard in the past, I forgot to write down. Sometimes a well-worn path like this gives us the impression uh, that this bone has been chewed on so much there's no more meat left there for me. And the unfortunate side of that perspective of looking at the scriptures like it's something that's just for you, just for you, we can sometimes miss the actual point. Who's the psalm about? 
As we uh, go through the narrative of King David's life, uh, he does a lot of reflections like these on who God is. We'll be continuing to, enter, uh, to put Psalms uh, where they belong inside of his life to give us emotional and poetic commentary on what he's going through. And while we do that, we'll learn how to read Hebrew poetry responsibly. So the first lesson on Hebrew poetry is to consider it as not just a throwaway thing, something that was really well thought through and structured, something that was taken, that took a lot of uh, thought to make and craft. And one of the things that you'll start to see as you read this Hebrew poetry is, is that oftentimes the main point is not in the middle. The main point is on either side. Compare verse 1 and verse 6. There's a word in these verses that only appears at the beginning and the end. What is it? Capital L-O-R-D. That's the English way of giving us a clue that this is a Hebrew word that's very significant. You see those capital letters? That's the Hebrew word that's spelled yod heh vav which is the covenant name of God. When I was a kid, we used to say Jehovah. Nowadays, the popular opinion of how to pronounce this word is Yahweh. This is the covenant keeping, promise keep, the loyal, mighty, wonderful God of Israel. That is who this psalm is about. David is celebrating who God is. And that's challenging to me because I've looked at this psalm, oftentimes thought that this is about me. I would put the capital words on the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He, he lets me. He does this for me. The main point of this psalm is the Lord. Which is great. If you were starting to wonder, I don't know what God's like. I don't know who he is. I don't know who to trust. David is writing this psalm, not just for him, but for us to know the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides. He, he's a guide. And he's very proud of his sheep. Those are the three things that I've observed in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd who provides. Look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that mean? That means that the Lord provides for our most essential needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, and restores my soul. We know the value of having somebody that we can trust to provide for our essential needs. Lots of us are feeling a little nervous about the way, that, the direction that this country is going to go. Who can we trust to follow for our providing for our most essential needs? We are not all that unlike sheep. Sheep also will not rest or will not lie down unless they know that they have enough food to uh, be able to survive or, or more than enough food. We also have this same fear at times where we will not lay down. We will not rest. We will not shut the computer. We will not take a vacation or a break because we have to keep piling up our provision for ourselves. We have to put in just enough effort in order to, to be able to then rest on our own efforts. The picture is very telling about where the Lord lets his, lets his sheep lay down and I brought with me this picture. Well, I actually brought with me this flash drive. I just brought it without anything on it. 
I forgot to put pictures on it. I brought, uh, I just left the house with this flashlight. It's not really going to help you. So just imagine with me uh, the Middle Eastern Judean wilderness. Okay, it's very uh, different than West Michigan. The grass there is not the same as it is here. It's very sparse. There's uh, only a few months out of the year where it even rains. You can look out, and, and we would just look at it and say, that is a desert. And the grass that comes usually only comes underneath rocks or, or big rocks that can collect enough dew to go down into the ground uh, and bring up a little bit of grass, uh, which is basically the equivalent of a mouthful for a lamb. This is where the shepherd brings his sheep to have just enough food. The essential amount of food. And this is the expectation that, that we can put on our shepherd. Yeah, not that we're con- concerned about necessarily here in Grand Rapids our next mouthful of food. But we are concerned about our essential needs and we can look to the Lord to provide for this. Consider the next phrase. He leads me beside still water. What's up with still waters? Why would you write that? Well, a lot of us don't know that sheep are afraid of moving water. Ripples. Sometimes you see a shepherd moving stones out of the water so that it's a little more flat or digging out a little pool for the lamb to be able to drink out of. And I know that sometimes, uh, I know that a lot of us probably aren't afraid of water moving. Um, But sometimes we are afraid of things that we're kind of ashamed that are just too petty and too small like that. Do you ever think God is so big and so amazing that he's not really into, uh, he's not really sensitive to your small and uh, pathetic need? If God is infinitely big, he's also infinitely small. There is no prayer There is no need that is too small for him. I used to judge people. I used to say, why are you praying for that? Why not pray for A's? Why are you praying for your baseball team? Why are you doing that? You know, that is just not even a concept for God. He is listening to you and he knows those things that you're afraid of, that you're not willing to say to other people, I'm afraid of water. He knows. You don't have to be ashamed of that. He will be sensitive to you and lead you where you need to be. He's a good shepherd. He restores my soul. That's a phrase that we've inherited from the venerated King James Bible. Uh, The Hebrew translation um, given by a scholar that I look up to named Ken Bailey. He uh, would say, he brings my soul back. The root word of this word here is shuv, which by now you probably know means to turn. Turns me back. Now, restores is also true, but it loses some of the picture, some of the imagery that's there. He brings me back. This implies that I went somewhere else. Also indicative of a uh, group of sheep is, is that it's very common for them to wander away. Do you know that you have a shepherd who is not just going to let you do that? He's not going to leave you. He's not going to be annoyed with that and just say, I forget about it. You have a shepherd who brings you back. He will bring you back and he will show you what path to walk on. He will lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He's not going to let you just uh, wander off forever. If you feel lost this morning and you feel like you are in a fight, you don't know where to go. Little by little each day you've been turning away from God. 
for how many years now? I would challenge you to just stop and ask, where is the shepherd? Listen for his voice because he promises to pursue you. He promises to provide for your most essential need. This is seen in Christ Jesus who left where he was to come and save the lost sheep. He left where he was to come find those who had strayed away. He left where he was and he said, I'm going to return you. I'm going to bring you back and I will do anything that it takes to do this. This cost him his life. Jesus says this much, I will bring you back. I will restore anything uh, that it would take for you to come back to the Father. Our shepherd provides. Our shepherd is also a courageous guide. Consider the next verses. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a very famous verse. <laughs> this is very beautiful. It's, it's, it's been ministering to people for 3,000 years. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death has become an idiom for cultures uh, throughout the centuries. I'll be honest, I have been focused on that most of my life, and I have neglected the beginning of this sentence, even though I walk. The reality for a Middle Eastern shepherd, in, in, for reality for a shepherd in David's area, is, is that it's unavoidable to take your sheep where they need to go, you have to go through dark, scary valleys. So if we're trusting a shepherd who knows where we need to go, we will continue to walk. And the fear and the temptation, the temptation to let fear uh, take the best of us is very big, where it will cause us to just sit down, plug our ears, close our eyes, and say, I'm not moving, this is too scary. How long have you been sitting in the shadow instead of following your shepherd? Eventually, in the shadow, we figure out that shadows don't really hurt anyone. The shadow of a wolf never bit anyone. The shadow of a bear never hurt anyone. But it also means that there's a, there's a wolf somewhere around here, so I'd rather just sit in the shadow instead of find out where it's going to be. And that life means you will never find the protection promised to you by your shepherd. That life is you just going to, to become comfortable in this fearful place and never moving forward. So what are you afraid of? Moving on, forgetting and healing. What are, you, are you afraid of uh, making the wrong choice? Afraid of being rejected or of failing? Remember the words of our Lord when he said in Matthew chapter 6, no one by worrying can add an hour to their life. That's a lie that if you are worried and fearful and sit there that you will live longer. Stand up and move forwards after your shepherd. Ask yourself if you have been sitting in this shadow for this long Am I following the shepherd? Does the shepherd want me to set up camp in this valley, the shadow of death? And the answer is no. And the answer is the shepherd will protect you and promises to protect you in your greatest need. 
Remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, not even uh, famine or nakedness or danger or peril or sword can separate us from the love of our God in Christ Jesus. Our shepherd will, will see to it that nothing will separate you from him. With his rod and his staff, he is with you. Be courageous and move forwards. Paul goes on to say in, that cha- in Romans chapter 8, we are facing death all day long. We are led like sheep to the slaughter. And my question is, do you want to be that consistent and that good of a follower that you would be walking into a slaughter house and not even know it? Who do you think's leading the lamb? The shepherd. This psalm isn't a psalm that says to me, oh, you're never going to get hurt, or oh, you're never going to face death. Or No, this, this psalm is saying you can trust the shepherd to go as far as he wants you to go. You can trust the shepherd to take you, uh, even if it means to death. For nothing, not even death, can separate you from your shepherd. He is a courageous guide, and he'll protect you. The Lord is my shepherd, and he also is very proud of you. Where do I get that? Well, look at the next verses. Even though I walk, uh, sorry, the next verse is, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, as I was reflecting on this verse, I thought, why is he talking about food again? We already did the food and the, the, the grass and the water and the stuff. But why is he come back to food? Maybe different reasons. But I was thinking it has more to do with the presence of my enemies. C. Baxter Kruger in his book, The Undoing of Adam, has a chapter entitled The Dastardly Trick. And what the dastardly trick is, is this. When we are in a place where we see our guilt and our failure, when we're at, say, a church service or something, that, that, the, the, that we're just uh, really understanding how sinful that we've been, What can happen is in that moment, that good moment, where you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, thank you, the enemy will whisper into your ear, look what the Son of God had to do for you. You are so wicked. You are so damaged. I can't even believe that nobody else is as bad as you. You are the worst And then that seed gets planted in our hearts in that vulnerable moment and grows up to actually turn into self-hatred. Or we continue to walk as if we don't really belong here, but uh, we are just welcome to be here because there's extra space. Yesterday I was um, offered Cubs tickets. And it wasn't because they wanted me to go. It was because there was extra tickets. And because I love baseball so much, I consider just taking the ticket, of course. I mean, why not get a mega bus and go watch it? This is not that. The equivalent of this verse would be for the owner of the Cubs to call me and say, Dan Mike, I want you to come to the Cubs game today with me. As a matter of fact, I want you to throw out the first pitch. Now, I know you're a great Tigers fan, and we're playing the Tigers, so why don't you could just wear your Justin Verlander jersey? 
As a matter of fact, I'm going to put a table of food and drinks in the Cubs' dugout because it's such a good place to watch the game. If any of them give you any trouble, they won't because I'll be waiting on you hand and foot. He prepares a place for me in the presence of my enemies. Doesn't necessarily have to do with food. (laughs) It means I will stake my reputation on you. I do not care how shameful it might be. I do not care how other people might view me, how your enemies might associate me with you. I will wait on you and I will prepare a table for you no matter who's watching. Time and time again, this is embodied in our Lord Jesus who was, who was caught eating with sinners. And they said, How could you eat with them? You must be a sinner too. And he never once corrected them. He never said, no, it's just my street corner. I don't don't really know these guys. I just, I'm here because I have to be here. He never was ashamed to be there. He is willing to to be numbered with the transgressors. Jesus is willing to be uh, associated with lowlifes. He's willing to be associated with imperfect people. Remember the words of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its what? Shame. Don't die like that, Jesus. It's shameful. I don't care. I'd be happy to do it. For the joy set before me, I'd be happy to be ashamed for you. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies and gives me special treatment, anointing my head with oil, and two, my cup is flow, overflowing. This is your shepherd, and it's how he sees you. My final thoughts uh, are these last verse, this last verse here. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as I was reflecting on these verses, I thought, man, all of these lines are really clear pictures if you dig into it, except for this one. Why why did he say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me? It's kind of ambiguous. It's hard to picture. The Hebrew word there for goodness is tov, which I'm sure you know is a very common word. It's good. It's good. Um... And mercy here is the Hebrew word chesed, which we translate steadfast love, loving kindness. So chesed and tov. I wonder if this picture would be helpful for you. If the, uh, if the sheep are following the shepherd, which is the way they do it in the Middle East, what's following the sheep? Sheepdog. What if God's sheepdogs are named chesed and tov? Now, this is powerful. To me, it's challenging because sometimes I believe that God's sheepdogs would be called perfect and short-tempered. And that would be a very different ending to this situation as being a, a, a lamb. Because being called sheep is not a compliment. Yet, over 200 times in our scriptures, we are called sheep. And one of the most common things of a sheep is that they wander off or they're, they're not paying attention, even unintentionally, just getting off sidetracked. And it would be 
very difficult for us to have sheepdogs named perfection and short-tempered. For every time we walk away, this short-tempered dog guilts us back or scares us back into the, into the flock. Every time we walk away, uh, perfection is right behind us saying, how could you do this? I can't believe you did this. This is not God's uh, sheep dogs. Uh, his sheep dogs are named Hesed and Tov. The loving kindness, the steadfast love of the Lord is behind you. His goodness is behind you saying, come back. Let that be something behind you that's bringing you back into the, into the flock. That you have a shepherd who isn't uh, just waiting for you to mess up, but continually willing in his goodness and his kindness to bring you back. How do we uh, have confidence to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Consider these words of Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep will hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. My father has given them to me and he is greater than all. And no one will snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Father in heaven, thank you for being a good shepherd who provided such sufficient reconciliation and restitution for us to bring us back. Thank you for courageously leading us in the, in the dark places and the harmful places in life and comforting us with your presence. there is any of us who are starting to feel like the black sheep and feel like we don't belong and that we're just invited as an afterthought to your family, speak loudly to us, Holy Spirit, and tell us that you are so proud of us. You're crazy about us. You do anything for us. No matter how it looks to the rest of the universe, you cherish us. Thank you, Jesus, for having such a strong grip keeping us in your hand.